Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and together with Bruce, we have written three dozen and now counting cookbooks. And here's the weird thing. Only one book on grilling a long time ago, (laughs) although for many years we did work for a major grilling company and ghost wrote some of their books and developed recipes for them. So we know a lot about grilling and we want to talk about grilling. This is going to be a show largely about it. We'll talk about how to get your grill ready, whether it's gas or charcoal for the summer grilling season. We've got a one minute cooking tip. Bruce has an interview with Ryan Mitchell, who is a barbecue expert. We're not even talking grilling. We're talking barbecue on the real style, the southern style. Whole hog North Carolina barbecue. Oh, there you go. And of course, as always, we'll tell you what's making us happy in food this week. So let's get started. Summer's here, and I'm grilling, although I grill all winter long, so I don't know why I'm so excited that I'm grilling in the summer, but I am. Actually, what it means is summer means— You even charcoal grill. Sorry, I'm interrupting you, but you even charcoal grill in the winter. And we live in rural New England, and let me tell you, this winter is serious winter stuff. When I say grilling in the winter, I mean where you have to shovel out to your grill. It's a kind of insane thing. So what I have to do in the summer, though, is clean my grills, right? I've got— I've got gas grills and I've got charcoal grills and I'm using plurals. Yes, I have multiple grills and they do need to be maintained. They are not self-sustaining pieces of cooking equipment. I know. And I think this is really something that a lot of people think that they are somehow. You would never not clean your stove. Well, well I suppose some I've people been, don't. I've been to some houses where uh, the stove is I was going to say never... you would never not clean your oven, but I guess some people don't clean their ovens. But you would never not clean a pot. This is true. You wouldn't throw soup into a dirty pot. No, you would not. So grills need uh, taking care of. We, a long time ago, when we wrote our one and only grilling book, we rented a house in northern Vermont, and we had enough budget for this book to literally rent a house about a mile from the Canadian border in far northern Vermont. It's what our budget allowed. And so we rented this house so that we could write this book and have a nice house for the summer. It was a nice house. It was just literally in Nowheresville, in the northeast kingdom, if you know Well, if you're wondering why we had to rent a house, because we lived in an apartment in Manhattan, and there was no way to grill, and we were going to write this grilling book. So Mark said we took our budget and we drew a circle of where we could afford, which was outside the circle. Right. (laughs) That was like almost in Canada. And they wanted, it was really wild, they wanted game in this Mm -hmm. book. And so we drove from New York City to far northern Vermont with a rack of elk in the back of our car, (laughs) along with game birds and everything. It was like this insane project. I didn't quite understand it all, but we certainly ate well. What I don't understand is why the summer. Yeah, why didn't we wait till we got up there to get the game? Instead, we paid like Ottomanelli prices. I don't know that you'd find an elk rack up there. (laughs) I don't shoot one. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> it's for, I don't think there are elk in Vermont. And uh, anyway, so we started doing that up there and grilling all that summer. But we had to find different kinds of grills. This house did have a grill, right? Yeah, yeah they this? had a grill, yeah. And there was a, but we still brought a grill. We did. We brought a charcoal grill. They yeah. had a gas grill. Oh but my gosh. there's there's a lot you have to do to both kinds of grills. I mean, I know people think, well, if I have a gas grill, I really have to do anything to it. There's no, no charcoal, not true. but not true. you've got a grease trap in that gas grill. 
And if you don't, then just look underneath because the grease is just dripping and falling and on the ground. if you live where we live in a rural area, if we leave our grease trap unattended, we get, mm. as I call them, furry well-wishers. 800-pound furry well-wishers. <laughs> which include bear. And they really want that grease trap because it stinks and it smells like food. And, you know, I mean, that's high-nutrition stuff for them. Mm-hmm. So you have to clean out your grease trap. And you do because over time, even if you live in warmer climates and don't have furry well-wishers as we do, it will start to get rancid, and that rancid smell will actually get into your food over time. It'll be disgusting. And you have to inspect your burners a lot, not just Mm. the beginning of the year. You have to do it even throughout the summer because spider webs, twigs, dust bunnies, pollen can build up, Mm -hmm. and it can all block the burners Mm -hmm. and block the flow of gas or doesn't let it ignite, and that could be a real problem. Usually what they say is that you should take, for like the lines, right, you should take soapy water and run it along and and see if at any place the soap bubbles up, and that means there could be a leak in the line. Mm -hmm. You want to immediately have that replaced. But by the way, we should just note that most detergent soaps are corrosive to copper, so once you do this, then you have to wash your copper connections really carefully because you want to get all that corrosive stuff off. And the other thing, a lot of gas grills have either flavor bars where the flames shoot. Flavor bars. It feels like it needs a TM after it. Flavor (laughs) bars, TM. I think they are, actually. Mm. And that's where the flame shoots up and hits these metal bars, which creates smoke and flavor. Or they have lava rocks or ceramic briquettes that heat up. Right, right, right. All of those need replacing every few years. Let me let me ask you this about the grills since we're talking about gas grills. So many years ago, we went to this giant grilling expo in Atlanta. We were invited as guests to do cooking demos there and uh, by this uh, grill maker that we were working for and, um, and ghostwriting for. So we went down there and we had a lovely time at this. It was giant. It was like football fields and football fields of grilling and grillware. But everybody was crazed, this is maybe 10 years ago, for infrared grilling. <laughs> it was like every single grill we saw was infrared. It was, it was the hot thing of that year, and I and don't see it is, anywhere. What is the deal? I don't even Where'd see it. Go? it any, I don't know. I, don't, I see very few grills with infrared. The only infrared that... You might see fairly often, and we actually have on our grill, is the rotisserie burner, right. which is you know the burner that's on the back face of the grill. It's on the inside, but it's on the back of the grill right. facing in. Right. And so when I'm rotisserieing a chicken or a roast beef, the flames are... You know, shooting at it just like in one of those chicken stores. Right. But, I mean, that the, 10 years ago, th- they were predicting that infrared was going to take over the world. It didn't. It didn't. No. Uh, well, maybe it will, but uh, I, I, it must still be out there as infrared. But we're not speaking about cleaning and getting infrared grills no. ready if you happen to have one of these cutting-edge <laughs> utensils, the infrared grill. We're talking about gas grills. But, again— do check all your connections. Do check everywhere that you can for yep. grease. Do clean it up. Make sure you clean up your grate on the grill. You can check your manufacturer's website to figure out how to clean the grate properly and to get it ready for cooking. Listen, the stuff burned on your grill grate is gross, so get it That's off. That's disgusting. Yeah, it's... get it off. Okay, so let's talk about charcoal grills. Scoop out the ashes. Don't let them build no. up. It's disgusting because they no. will fly up and get on your food. 
eventually you have to scoop out the ashes from your fireplace, right? There's no more room. Well, the same thing happens on your grill. When there's no more room for fresh charcoal, you're in trouble. But don't wait that long because the ashes are gross, and then yeah, they just yeah, get yeah. up into the food. And so scoop out the ashes. I think people don't think about this about charcoal grills, but do check the rivet joints and the places where, let's say, the legs attach to the body. Mm. Check all those places to make sure they're tight. You do not want a charcoal grill falling oh, over gosh. or a leg falling off while you're grilling. You don't want that to happen. So just it doesn't Dangerous. take you, you can start a fire. five minutes to check that. And check where the handle is on mm-hmm. the lid because, again, if that lid were to pop off that handle when it was hot, it could be da- very dangerous. Not anything that you want to happen. And the air vents, all charcoal grills have air vents. Make sure they that do. they're in workable condition, that they turn easily, that they're not blocked. Otherwise, you ain't going to be having any good barbecuing going on. And if you want to improve your barbecue game, why are you using charcoal lighter fluid? Oh, well. That just makes your burgers taste like charcoal lighter fluid. Get a chimney. Buy a you do the Homer chimney. Simpson thing and put like three <laughs> bottles of it on it, and then suddenly like the whole grill explodes, <laughs> and you're like, "Oh, perfect!" So. No, it's not perfect. So get a chimney instead of that, and when you're grilling, cover the grill. Put the mm-hmm. lid down. Mm-hmm. Don't grill with the lid up. Rarely. It's not an effective way to grill. Rarely. I mean, really, rarely. You can grill with the lid off. For super fast things, right? You're going to have huge flames shooting up because yeah, of all the even, air. Even burgers, you should put the lid on yeah. it. You'll get more smoke happening and you get more smoke flavor. If you leave the lid open, there's more oxygen feeding the fire, shooting up of flames. Your food is more likely to get burned and not a delicious and smoky taste. Let's say, well, we're talking about grilling and now we're going to talk about the grill, but we're talking, since I brought burgers up, I'm just going to mention this. Don't press down on a burger on the grill. You can't make smash burgers on a grill. You need a griddle for smash burgers unless you have pre-smashed them until they're very flat in the kitchen. You can't do the standard smash burger technique. And when you smash down with the back of a spatula, I know everybody's dad did this, but all you're doing is squeezing out all the juice. What are you doing? All you're doing. You're You're turning it dry. You're squeezing it out. The fat will drip down. It'll make a flame shoot up. But don't do that, as Mark said. And don't turn them endlessly. I know. You turn them once. I'm That's really all you need this. to do is turn them once. I'm really guilty of overturning. When I was a kid, I was the one who grilled in our house uh, from about when I was about maybe 12 on. I grilled dinner. And Mom would buy steaks or burgers or whatever, pork chops. And I would grill them in the summer. And... Uh, I was just the Mr. You know, oh, turn it, and then 30 seconds later, turn it, and then 30 seconds later, turn it, and then count to 20 and turn it, and then count to 10 and turn it. So, it, and it, my problem was that I was trying to get my burgers and my steaks super rare because yeah. my family liked them all well done, and I basically liked them so that a good vet could you still save like it the that cow. Way. I know. And so I, I was trying to somehow save mine by turning them repeatedly, but no, you really shouldn't. I saw an interesting TikTok video this morning on grilling, and some guy was doing skirt steaks, and he was saying how it takes, you know, like an hour to two, if not overnight, to marinate them. Oh, right. And he said rather than do that, he marinates them after. 
I'm like, isn't that just putting dressing on a steak? So anyway, he what? grilled his skirt steaks, and then he poured his no, oil vinegar no, no, or no, marinade no. over at the no, end. No. And I'm like, that does that work? No, no. Well, okay, it won't work for me because although I like my, I don't know about skirt steak, but I like beef super rare, I also like a crusty char on the outside of it. What I want is it charred and then rare inside, and... That dressing would turn that char soft. And it the, would soften it up. Yeah. Oh, no, and, no, 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 no. And the dressing's also what's going to help get the char. The fat in it's going to sizzle. The sugar in it is going to burn on. Yeah. Yeah, that was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. Well, see, TikTokers don't know everything. <laughs> While we're stopped on that, let me just say, if you don't know, we have a TikTok channel, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Uh, what a shock. You can become our friend there on TikTok. We have a ton of videos going up every week mostly about air frying right now, although there are other videos that are going up, and you should check that out. You can be our friend on TikTok, and we would love to hang out with you there. I know, it's crazy. They let us on, the Gen Zers. Who couldn't believe it? Okay, up next, as is traditional, our one-minute cooking tip. Skip the charcoal briquettes and buy yourself hardwood lump Charcoal. Okay, can, now you're going to have to stop and say what that is. Charcoal is made by burning wood, right? And what's right. left is the charcoal. To make briquettes, that charcoal is ground up into a powder and formed into little cubes, little right. briquettes. Right. They also sometimes add stuff into them. There's filler added. And you don't get as delicious a wood taste if you just use the charcoal in its wood form. So you buy lump charcoal, which, which is, is a hardwood. It's expensive. It's more expensive than briquettes, but it burns hotter. And the nice thing is it also leaves much less residue. Yeah. So you're going to have less right. ash. You'll have to, as we said earlier, clean it out. You're going to have to clean it out less often. So right. go for the hardwood lump charcoal. Before we get to our big barbecuing interview on this episode of Cooking with Bruce and Mark, let me say it would be great if you could subscribe to this podcast, if you could rate it, even a comment like Great Podcast does wonders for us. We are unsupported. Thank you for finding us and being with us on this journey. If you would like to be with us more, I know you would, right? <laughs> Who wouldn't? You can sign up for our newsletter. Go to our website, bruceandmark.com or cookingwithbruceandmark.com. It all goes to the same place. And there, there is a form to fill out for our our newsletter and let me just say that I have blocked it so I don't see you sign up I just see a number like three people signed up today that's all I see but I can't see your name I can't see your email and you can always unsubscribe at any given moment I do this so that I protect you so that your name and email can't be sold by anyone so check it out there on our website bruceandmark.com up next Bruce's interview with Ryan Mitchell he and his dad right his dad his dad Ed Mitchell yeah all right they have got a North Carolina barbecue house that is legendary Ed Mitchell's barbecue and they have a new book out Ed Mitchell's barbecue Ed Mitchell's barbecue <laughs> so up next Bruce with Ryan today we're talking barbecue with Ryan Mitchell he is the business savvy brain behind his father's brand Ed Mitchell's Barbecue. He's also the co-author, along with his father, of the new book, Ed Mitchell's Barbecue. Hey, Ryan, welcome. How you doing, Bruce? Thank you for having me. Hey, your book is the story of your family, the history of the Mitchell family, as well as incredible recipes for classic barbecue and Southern food. And I've heard you say in other interviews that your family got into the barbecue business from a place of pain, as opposed to like barbecue competitions and 
What did that journey look like? You know, it was a very, uh, you know, it was spiritual, it was emotional. Um, it, it, it has always been positioned in a place of hospitality and love for taking care of people. But, you know, uh, just to take you back, my grandfather passed away in 1991. And, you know, at that point, him and my grandmother were running a little corner grocery store. And so they only just sold, you know, local meats and cheeses and fresh produce, fresh meats, you know, your typical corner neighborhood bodega, no prepared foods or anything at that time. So when my grandfather passed away, you know, we were honestly, you know, just kind of staring at, you know, estate issues, property, foreclosures and things of that nature that comes along with losing, you know, the, the, the family, uh, you know, breadwinner. You know, my grandmother's therapy for grieving is cooking. You know, she takes care of, you know, people at the church, the neighborhood, you know, she just cooks at home and, and just, you know, that's her way of getting everybody through hard times. And so when I mentioned a place of pain, you know, we were sitting there just kind of trying to figure out what to do and how we were going to, you know, continue to earn income and earn a living, uh, you know, in this in this turmoil. And we cooked some barbecue. My Well, my, my grandmother and my father just, you know, and my two uncles uh, just cooked a pig that day that was just meant for family dinner, wasn't meant to be sold. And we end up uh, having leftovers that we gave away to a customer uh, at the end of the day that was just coming into the grocery store to buy some soda. And that turned into us just going through this tremendous, you know, 20, 30 year journey of cooking whole hog barbecue and kind of going back to some family or ancestral crafts, skills of cooking whole hog barbecue, you know, that was a void inside of the city at that moment. So started out, you know, as a grieving process and just a way to try and make ends meet and turned into, you know, what it is today. So that story, man, is um, it's probably, you know, kind of an American dream, so to say. Whole hog barbecue, as you say, is what you specialize in. And it is the first recipe in your book, how to do a whole hog. But for most suburban cooks, a whole hog isn't necessarily something they can easily do at home. Do you have any advice for home cooks who want to try and recreate your classic barbecue? You know, we start out with the whole hog and then uh, later on in the book, we add in the pork shoulder and the Boston butts. And so um, the, the shoulders, the hams are just as good. You know, you smoke those, put those on a grill, you know, in a, in a smaller setting. And we have a recipe in there that includes our vinegar-based barbecue sauce and our and our uh, Carolina Classic barbecue rub. And that gives you, you know, at least some renditions of the seasoning that goes into it when you don't have time to, you know, spend 12 hours trying to cook a hog or, or, or the space. You know. <laughs> uh, let's talk about that sauce for a second. One of the early partnership products you made with your dad was yep. a line of zero sugar barbecue sauces. So. Yep. Why'd you create them and where'd the inspiration come from? You know, we got into the barbecue sauce business early in the late 90s. Honestly, uh, we were selling out of our restaurant and just a lo one local like gas station gro grocery store that was carrying us. Um, you know, and that, and that recipe, you know, was uh, was just something we just kind of kept close to the vest. And then um, at right around 2016, 17, my father was diagnosed with diabetes and we... Uh, you know, were approached from a couple of different friends of mine, business partners of mine, to try and uh, recreate a barbecue sauce, you know, with the same natural recipes, but removing some of the sugar. And that, you know, grocery stores were looking for, you know, some minority-owned products that were taking the better-for-you path. And so 
we decided to really just kind of hone in on that and try to use our platform to kind of raise awareness on, you know, some of the, um, you know, the, the, the health, you know, change the profile of barbecue sauces, you know, because every sauce on the shelf has gotten to ingredients full of sugar and full of, uh, you know, GMOs and all types of things. So, so our family recipe really was simple. My grandmother didn't pour volumes of sugar on everything. She would just take uh, butternut squash, carrots, even some fruits, and she would stew them down to a serum. And she would use that as a sweetener in pies and sauces, you know, any type of condiment. Anytime we needed some secret sweetener to one of her recipes, she would use one of her little, you know, concoctions. And so that's where the inspiration came from uh, to really just, you know, we took butternut squash and carrots and a little bit of apple and we use that as a sweetener. And, you know, it mixed well with the barbecue sauces. You write in a book about barbecue brisket as being the most scrutinized meat to come out of the pit at barbecue competitions. And oh. that I love this because you say you didn't enter the barbecue game for aesthetics. Yeah. You cook brisket to eat, not to show. That's so right. <laughs> your recipe says after five hours in the smoker, you wrap the brisket. Is that the secret to making it as delicious as possible? Why do you do that? You know, here in the Carolinas, the brisket wasn't, you know, the go-to piece of meat. You know, we gravitate to pork. The brisket is Texas competition uh, barbecue. What we found out was, hey, you know, we put it at the smoker for about five hours at, at a little bit higher heat than what you would probably normal normally have in, in some of the competition styles. And at that five-point mark, you could pull it and you wrap it and you let it you know, finish the cooking process in a wrap state. And it kind of really just self tenderizes. It kind of gives it, a, you know, another four and a half, five hour period for the meat to be a little bit less tough and more consistent, more able to slice. It's not the prettiest piece because when you're wrapping it with foil, sometimes the, the, the fat and the best parts of it kind of get removed when you're kind of doing it that way. But it's the tastiest way to uh, enjoy a brisket here when you uh, are cooking it the way we do. In the book, your dad talks about the pig bar in the restaurant. Can, can you tell me about that? The pig bar was really just, you know, an area at, you know, just picture a regular sitting bar, but we have a half of a whole hog sitting there uh, in front of the customers or the line of customers that are able to sit at the bar. And you're able to have a, um, a bartendee kind of give you the experience of being at a, a you know, a old fashioned barbecue pick picking, right? And you can kind of pick and choose the pieces of the hall that you would like to have and sample, you know, right there in front of you. And uh, pre-COVID, you know, we had us, we, we were allowing um, customers to kind of enjoy it with their themselves and they could pick, but now you have to have a little bit more, you know, structure in place. So we'll have someone kind of giving it to you for you, but at least you get to see the animal and see you know, how, where, where your favorite pieces of meat come from, you know, and that was the whole part of it. Hey, Ryan, there's a recipe in the book that I love this title. I don't eat everybody's potato salad. <laughs> What's the story behind that? Black barbecue culture, you know, there's certain dishes that you, you know, bring to a cookout that are, you know, scrutinized and family and friends want to know who made it, where it came from. It's kind of, you know, one of those uh, high profile dishes that come to the family barbecue. And usually there's only, you know, a handful of uh, 
elder family members who can make it, you know, just right, right? So the the term, I don't eat everybody's potato salad is something you'll generally hear around the cookout because everybody wants to know who made it. So that was a funny way of kind of bringing in um, one of our one of our favorite uh, side dishes. Well, let's talk about another one of your grandmother's dishes. In the book, it's referred to as the oddball carrot cake. Was your grandmother an oddball or is the carrot cake an oddball? Carrot cake is an oddball. Uh, you know, my grandmother, so again, uh, you know, it was my favorite dessert growing up that she made. At the church in the South, uh, you know, after service, you know, we would feed the uh, clergy and we would feed, you know, the members and have these very nice after church dinners. And so, you know, as people know, the women in the kitchen of a Southern Baptist church are pretty competitive about, you know, the stuff that they bring and the stuff that they cook. It's not a competition, but it is a competition to them, you know. So her desserts, uh, you know, were always, you know, one of the highly requested things. And the ladies of the kitchen would get into these little battles about, um, you know, who made the best carrot cake, chocolate cake, or whatever. So my grandmother's secret to separating Hers visually was to add uh, like a yellow food color into it. So it's called the oddball carrot cake because the icing is yellow. And that separated it. Once you got to the back kitchen in the church, the pastors and the members who were looking for her cake knew that Mother Mitchell's was the yellow one over there. There's another recipe in the dessert chapter that I want to talk about, something I'd never heard of. Country Boy Chew Bread. What is it? It's basically, um, we'll just say it's like a cookie bar, so to say. It's kind of a Southern rendition on a brownie without mm-hmm. the chocolate. And really just the ingenuity of just taking some of the leftovers around um, around the kitchen, man. You know, the flour, eggs, and a little bit of uh, vanilla flavoring, walnuts if you choose, brown sugar. And it was real and a really easy dessert that uh, my, grand, my grandmother and the elders just used to make to kind of keep the kids at bay until they finished the pies and the cakes and some of the other bigger desserts that were going to be on the table. But it was something very simple that they could just whip up and have, uh, you know, like a little mini cookie brownie. But uh, there's a couple of renditions, you know, each culture has. But ours is called chew bread because it's a little bit chewier. Um, and the consistency is a little different. But it's, but it's very good. From desserts back to the whole hog, this book, Ed Mitchell's Barbecue, is filled with Amazing recipes for the taste of your family's barbecue. The stories of your family are just wonderful to read. Hey, great good luck with the book, Ed Mitchell's Barbecue. And thank you for spending some time with me this morning. Thank you so much for having us. I appreciate it. There's just nothing like good barbecue. Mm -hmm. There really isn't. And it is such an art. It is. I think that, you know, to go back to TikTok, I saw these Brit guys who have been on like a year-long tour of the United States. And one of the things they keep coming back to, these two Brits, is that they are just undone by American barbecue. They are undone by the whole brisket fandango. And just like me, they are crazed about brisket. I am I'm a Texas boy, and I believe you know a real barbecue joint by yeah. its brisket. Well, I love Ryan's way of doing it, where you wrap that brisket after a few hours so it doesn't oversmoke, it stays moist. Mm. And as mm. he said, it's mm. not the most beautiful brisket because you don't necessarily have the crunchy bark on it and some pieces right. get pulled off. But you're making brisket to eat it, 
not to look at it. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, uh, the, this is kind of – sorry, we're banging on here before we get to what's happening. It's making us happy and through this week. But this is going to be super controversial, but I don't like burnt ends. And I'm a Texas boy. <laughs> I grew up on barbecue. I grew up on serious barbecue, serious places that we would go where they they tended it all night and they would sell until they were sold out. Yep. Those kind of places. And I never heard of burnt ends until I became an adult. And then I became an adult and I saw the burnt ends and I don't, it's like sweet charcoal. Yeah, I don't, well, I don't get it. You have to like the sweet, you have to like the burned. And they're also a and little I dried. Like the burned. But they're also dry. They're not, it's not the fatty, fatty pieces. Yeah, so see, that's, that's, I like burn on my steak, but I don't like just yeah. charcoal with sugar. That, that to me is like, I don't get it. I, I want a good slice of brisket mm, that juicy, is juicy, fatty. Oh my God. Yum. Oh, yeah. my gosh. So since we're talking about all that, let's talk about what's making us happy in food this week. Pork pozole. Oh, right. that was going to be my. Well, then you talk about no. it. Well, okay, I'll talk about it. Fine. So last night we went to a friend's house and we played bridge. Bruce and I do play a mean game of bridge. And we played bridge with six other people. And Bruce was kind enough to bring dinner to a friend's house. And he made pork pozole verde. And mm. it is one of my childhood Texas favorite things. So how did you make your pork pozole verde? Well, I did not use canned pozole. Thank I God. had dried pozole. He means canned hominy. Yeah, canned hominy. Instead, no. I had dried hominy, and it had to be slaked. It had to be nixtamalized. <laughs> and it was nixtamalized, which means you soak it in lye and you get all the skins off it and then you cook it. And I had a beautiful four and a half pound boneless pork shoulder from Butcher Box and I cut it into pieces and I browned all those pieces in bacon fat because, of course, first I fried up a pound of bacon. And mm. then I took those mm. out in went lots of onions and garlic and chopped up poblano peppers. Right, right, right. And tons of tomatillos when, and when cilantro. I was, now, mm. Mm, pork pozole verde was a thing when I lived in Austin. You, you probably know I'm from Texas and I grew up in Dallas, but uh, I lived in Austin when Bruce met me and I was teaching at St. Edwards University. And there was a place downtown called Las Manitas run by these two women. And it was a place to go for breakfast. And they made pork pasole verde and to go to Las Manitas and have pork pasole verde with for breakfast poached eggs mm. and tortillas they would poach the eggs right in the pasole mm. and serve it in bowls oh gosh it was so delicious it's just something that is comfort food out of my childhood if you don't know about pasole where should you get a good recipe for pasole in our book Grain mains. Oh, there well, is I didn't a even anticipate this one. Lovely oh, pork pozole verde, which is the recipe I used last night. If you don't know, we have a book called Grain Mains <laughs> where every single recipe uses whole grains as the main ingredient, and it's all main course recipes with whole grains. Mm. So it's a it's not a vegetarian or vegan book, although there are vegetarian and vegan recipes. Yeah, sure. But there, uh, but it's wheat berries and oat berries and rye berries, and it's using whole grains to form the ballast of the main course and nixtamalated corn counts. <laughs> it that, does. Uh, Yum. Yeah. Oh, that was so good. So that's the podcast for this week. Thanks for being with us. We know there are a million choices out there for podcasts, even food podcasts. Thank you for choosing ours and being on this journey with us. We certainly appreciate your being here. 
Hey, if you've got a favorite barbecue recipe, something you like to throw on the grill, go to our Facebook group, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Share it. Share a picture of it. Tell us what you like to do. We'll share some of our favorite recipes, and we will see you for another episode here on Cooking with Bruce and Mark.